Welcome to Asshole Court's second episode on the most famous asshole in the world right now, Jeffrey Epstein. If you haven't listened to the first, we highly recommend going back and getting caught up there. If you've already heard it, you'll remember that we left off at the point in which Epstein had developed a relationship with Victoria's Secret's retail mogul, Les Wexner, who had apparently gifted Epstein with total control over his finances, as well as an insane luxury home in Manhattan's Upper East Side, arguably the largest private home in New York City. Thanks again for joining us on this weird-ass adventure. Let's get back to it. All right. In the 90s, leveraging the assets that Wexner allowed him to control, Epstein becomes a player in the New York City ultra-wealthy social scene. And of course, as any New Yorker will be happy to tell you, New York City, for many powerful people, is the center of the universe. Although he wasn't known to the general public at this time, important social figures in New York came to know him for his seemingly extravagant wealth, generosity, and mysterious background. They seem to appreciate all three, and Epstein revels in their attention. The whole mysterious background, like, that's my thing. If somebody has a real checkered, unquestionable past, like, how much true faith do you put in them, you know, from where he grew up? to how he obtained his wealth, to who his customers were, yeah, things like that. It's just sometimes when things don't add up, it just I don't see how that could be an attractive thing. But the allure, well, I was going to say, yeah, the, there's the an allure to it, and yeah. the receipt is his assets. Yeah. So he can tell you whatever he wants, and you're like, well, he's done this shit. Yeah. And, and sometimes a, that puts the blinders on people. He's got a $56 yeah. you know what I mean? million dollar house in New York City. Mm-hmm. So. That he and wants it, you to come over and hang out at. Yeah. Exactly. According to one of Epstein's girlfriends at the time, Epstein was, quote, a total star fucker. Ah, I like that term. Yeah. He started hanging out with people like newspaper publisher Mort Zuckerman, banker Luis Ranieri, Revlon chairman Ron Perlman, real estate tycoon Leon Black, Tom Prisker of Hyatt Hotels, and then New York real estate personality Donald Trump, among others. The funny thing is, what's the one name I recognize and probably most people listening would recognize? Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, certainly. All those other guys, do you know who they are? I know who Mort Zuckerman is. Like, I know some of these people, but yeah, it's not that like the average person. Buddy, who, yeah. No, I didn't know any of the other ones. Me either, man. And that's kind of how Epstein rolled, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't know who he was before all the shit hit the fan, yep. essentially. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's so in the intro, when we talk about flying under the radar. Like I said, sometimes I guess apparently tabloids have published him on yachts with supermodels and shit, but. I don't read tablets. So, yeah. You know, he really, had a real no way of knowing who this dude really was. It's true. Know? But well, a lot of those ultra rich people, they do fly under the radar. A, you know what I mean? Intentionally. Way Absolutely. Intentionally. They and don't want to be in other. the limelight. I know if yeah. I was balling out of control, I wouldn't want to be on any kind of papers or anything nope. like that. Nope. Well, and you have to remember their social circles are closed off. 100%. Oh, without a yeah. doubt. Yeah. Like yeah, all yeah. the people that want to get and hang in there. Like a lot of times you hear about those ultra wealthy places where even like A-list or Hollywood actors aren't really even accepted into that group because they're like nouveau riche or new money versus old money that or just, yeah, the social status or whatever. So he's nobody knows who these people are. These people know each other and these people are like the masters of the universe. Mm-hmm. And now he's rolling with them. The Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, yes. you yeah. know, but I mean, even yeah. a degree separated from that. Yeah. And like I said, in a lot of ways, these relationships were largely transactional. Like we mentioned, Epstein liked to, quote, collect people, which I take as meaning he leveraged his social status, wealth and relationships to attain importance and new relationships higher up the social ladder. So Epstein got notoriety and connections. But what did these people get out of Epstein? Well, for one thing, they had access to Epstein's things, his properties, his planes, and his people. Do you blame him? No. Honestly, no. private jets, that spot he had in New Mexico was huge. Go, go Google Zorro Ranch yeah, in Zorro New Mexico. Ranch. Go look at that thing. Yeah. I mean, Epstein himself said the townhouse in Manhattan looks like a shack compared to the ranch yep. in New Mexico. 
Yeah. So I mean that just to give you an idea, and what the the townhouse in Manhattan was twenty one thousand square feet. Right. Good night. Yeah. You know and it I mean? was on seventy five hundred acres. Yeah. Oh, that's insane. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it was a complex that I mean was just completely isolated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, in my opinion, Epstein had spent his entire adult life studying the wealthy and the powerful and what they wanted. Exclusivity is part of that. And private flights are a huge part of that for the rich and famous. If you're well-to-do, flying private is both practical in terms of privacy and convenience and egotistically important as a status symbol of your station and wealth. And Epstein was notoriously more than happy to extend the use of his infamous 727 jet, dubbed by many as the Lolita Express, to people that he thought would be important to include in his social circle. What I'm confused about is, did these people not already have access to... You know, jets and stuff like I'm that. I'm thinking free private jet flight. I'm yeah, gonna, everybody's going to take yeah. that. You know, and that's the thing, too, is uh, I, I was listening to this one lady she was talking about. She's like, a lot of rich people are cheap. Yeah, they don't. Well, that's how they get that's there. Why they're that's rich, the, yeah. yeah. And so if you get the opportunity, like the fuel costs for this shit. Oh, unbelievable. I mean, have you ever had a friend that had a boat? There, I was just oh, yeah. about to compare it to like the fuel cost on a yacht ride. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, even just having a ski boat, a friend of ours, I went out on a ski boat all the time with him. And I mean, just to gas up for the day. Be a hundred bucks. This is back fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. So imagine a transcontinental flight, and he's like, "I'll pay for it." Yeah, you're gonna go. Yeah, I looked it up. The seven twenty seven can go twenty seven thousand nautical miles yep. in between Phillips. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. If you gas that whole thing up, like I said, it's That's literally around the world. It's what Delta and those guys used to use. They still do. They still have them. Mm-hmm. But it was back in the day. It was you know, it's meant to fly long distances like those Gulf streams. They're right. cross country or whatever. You send them out a little bit, but you can't fly from like Tokyo to New York City on those. At 727, you definitely can. Yeah, you can fit up anywhere between 150 and 180 people on that thing. Yeah, if you put seats through that thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh. His was just uh, had the like the fuck palace. I was about to say <laughs> baller heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, the, the Lolita Express was named after the famous 1955 Nabokov novel in which an older man finds himself attracted to girls aged 9 to 14 and one in particular the novel's namesake, Lolita. Yeah, it's, I was wondering where the name for the plane came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, well. came from a book. And then mm-hmm. the people on the island, I think they were the first ones that dubbed it as that. They're very well read. They're very literature uh, <laughs> heavy. Savvy. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's the Nabokov novel. Of course you've read it. <laughs> I imagine. I, it's Tolstoy, Nabokov, Epstein. We just hang out. We just talk. <laughs> By the way, if you think that Epstein is the only sexually nicknamed private jet owner, I just want to point out, Ron Burkle, a supermarket magnet, owns a jet that is allegedly and hilariously titled <laughs> Air Fuck One. <laughs> oh, yeah. I heard about this. I can only imagine what the inside of these things look like. I mean, that's got to be pretty cool. I had honestly. to look. I had to go look it up. Yeah. Because I, like I said, I've read these reports. And the way that people talk about Epstein now is just with this, like, layer of disgust on it. They're like, oh, right. it was so garish and gross <laughs> and everything. Then and, and I was like, well I have to see this because like I said, I was fully expecting like an Austin Powers circular sex bed that's sort of, <laughs> you know, like that sort of and shit. The, like lava lamps yeah, coming out and yeah. expecting like lava lamps. But I went and checked it out and it just looks you're like it looks like a really nice R V. And then, but what was funny was, like I said, I found there was one picture that just cracked me up and it was the kitchen because there's a fucking kitchen on this thing. And on the kitchen counter was a white plastic George Foreman grill. (laughs) Yeah. And I just immediately thought about like his assistant going to Walmart to pick this up and then walking out onto the tarmac to bring it onto the plane. And then, you know, like Jeffrey Epstein sitting there. Trying to cook like a healthy meal for I'll himself. Have the grilled salmon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's having like clean the grease out of it and stuff like that. But it, like I said, it sort of humanizes him 
in a way. And I <laughs> always like to do this with like weird or powerful people. You know what I mean? Like I, again, like to imagine Stalin or Putin, somebody along those lines, sharding, uh, like <laughs> mid speech and panicking a little bit and being like, that was poop. That wasn't a fart. You know, I would like to imagine that Epstein's George Foreman grill looked like the one we had in college. It did. It looks exactly like that. No, I mean covered in oh. grease. <laughs> no, it did. The fat no. trap is like full. <laughs> no, just... he had someone to clean it up. Yeah, but I like to imagine it was him cleaning it up. You know what I mean? Like everybody out there has to feel a little proud. You use the same cooking utensils as a billionaire. That's right. Yeah, yeah. it works. Go. George Foreman should be very proud. It's the end to the means. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's, everybody uses there. it. I'm sure the devil has one. <laughs> you know what I mean? The best person. You get 40 lashes. Hold on, wait. I need to flip over my chicken breast. (laughs) It doesn't even matter how bad or good of a person you are. Tom Hanks uses one. Satan uses one, right? (laughs) Jeffrey Epstein uses one. Eminem. Eminem certainly uses one. Everybody's touched the George Foreman grill. So I just thought that was uh, just a funny little thing and imagining people in those weird situations. But just having access to the things Epstein was happy to share was enough to keep people from asking too many questions about the source of his wealth. And that certainly helped Epstein because there were a lot of people that weren't hanging out with him who thought something was off. For a guy that was ostensibly in charge of billions of dollars to invest, most people on Wall Street didn't seem to have a clue who he was. And trying to research it, nobody really ever found out how the hell this guy got all this money. You right. know, we, we yeah. know Lex Wesner. Lex Wesner. Les, Les Wexner. <laughs> it's not Lex Wesner. It's a tough one. Yeah, it's a tough one. Les, Les Wexner. Wexner. Yeah. All right, yeah. You want to say like Lex Wex- Wexner. <laughs> you want to say like Lex Luthor or something Le- like that? I immediately down, thought, I do. yeah, yeah. yeah. Lex- oh, man. At bare minimum, they certainly didn't know anything about the investments he was making. As one large fund manager explained in, in the 2003 Vanity Fair article on Epstein, quote, the trading desks don't seem to know him. It's unusual for animals that big to not leave any footprints in the snow. Mm-hmm. And another well-known investor who at the time of the... Uh, 2002 New York Magazine Expo wanted to remain anonymous said, my belief is that Jeff maintains some sort of money management firm, though you won't get a straight answer from him. He once told me he had 300 people working for him. And I've also heard that he manages Rockefeller money, but no one ever knows. It's like looking at the Wizard of Oz. There may be less there than meets the eye. I read too that a lot of his, you know, he would tell, I think he said it was his girlfriend's acquaintance or friend that he'd be out of town on business. You know, I'm, I'm going out of the country for a few weeks on mm-hmm. business. And then he'd show up on like British tabloids off the coast yeah. of France or wherever, yep. you know, shirtless on a yacht with supermodels. Yep. It was just kind of shrouded in mystery. Yeah. You know, yeah nobody knew was. what he yeah. was doing. Really. It's actually that's perfect because one guy that sued him, Michael Stroll, is a one time venture partner with Epstein. He actually said, quote, everybody who's his friend thinks he's so darn brilliant because he's so darn wealthy. I never saw any brilliance. I never saw him work. Anybody I know that is wealthy works 26 hours a day. This guy plays 26 hours a day. Yeah. Must exactly. be nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But regardless of the questions being asked by some on Wall Street, Epstein's reputation continued to grow. Another thing that Epstein offered was access to women. Mm-hmm. A recent article by Vanity Fair writer Vanessa Gregoriardis does a decent job of explaining how it works. In the mid to late 90s and into the first decade of the 21st century, a new style of New York nightclub entertainment was what would become known as Models and Bottles. Oh, yeah. Yikes. Yeah. We're all familiar with the concept, even if we haven't been active participants. A nightclub creates a roped off area for VIPs. And these VIP areas are tables and bottles of liquor. More importantly, models are typically hired by the club or brought in as a favor to hang out and chat up the clientele in the VIP area. There's been a couple times where I was invited just to go along and you're in one of these areas with the bottles of liquor. I felt almost like a a herd of cattle because people were kind of walking by and just looking at you like, 
huh? Who are you? You know, mm-hmm. hey, who are you? How'd you get in there? Yeah, yep. that'll do it. Ah, and that, hey, the club scene. I no, I'm never, never been a way fan. past that. Yeah. I always like bars better than clubs. I oh, like to actually yeah. drink and have conversations with my friends. So it's a very weird environment to go to a club where. You talk with your body. Yeah. <laughs> My body did all the talking tonight. <laughs> and like, you know, most dudes don't want to go out and dance most nights. So, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's the very awkward part. You see these in the clubs, you know, all the girls are dancing on the floor and there's like literally like 20 dudes standing around, like posted up on the wall. Yeah. yeah. You know, just basically doing the the Epstein kind of looking at yeah, them, yeah. picking out their prey. <laughs> yeah. 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 They're, they're trying to ply them with booze. Can I buy you a drink? Can right. I buy you a drink? I saw you moving out there on the floor. I got to be honest. I can't see too well because it's really dark in here and the black lights make it look like you have cum all over your face. <laughs> I think that's just your makeup, but uh, I just want to be honest. I'm real horny and lonely tonight and you seem like you might be willing to fuck. And in these lights, you look a little bit like a circus clown. That's it. A melted <laughs> clown. You've been sweating a lot. But I did. I went to one of those VIP setups and they, like I said, it was for a friend of mine's wife for her birthday or whatever. And I went because they're my friends. I was like, it's not my scene. And they knew it. They were like, it's cool. They're like, Mikey, just come hang out. All you got to do is just show up, sit on a couch and drink with us. And I was like, well, I can do that at home or at your house, <laughs> right. but I'll go. And the problem was, like I said, is you're roped off. You're isolated from everybody. And like Randy was saying, like people do sort of look in your direction because they're trying to figure out if you're famous. And when they saw my face, they were immediately just turning away. <laughs> I don't know who that is. And he's also ugly and drunk and sitting on a couch and looks a little upset. <laughs> he's leering at me yeah. a little bit. Uh, but Yeah. But, uh, and then you can't have a conversation because the music is just like, oh yeah. So you're, yelling at your friends this is a great i like the booze thanks man and it's just a very weird environment but people love this shit some people live for it oh, man. not for everybody but obviously it works because at the time that this happens like i said the exclusivity and access to women and occasionally to celebrities necessitates a high price for access and a lot of people are willing to pay it and we're talking about like tens of thousands of dollars oh, sometimes yeah. for one night That's you get a crazy. table and a bottle and have models hang around you or whatever <laughs> Yeah, no, like paying like $1,000 for a bottle of vodka. You know what I mean? Like, what the hell? Yeah. We can sneak a bottle of vodka in for whatever it costs us to get in yeah. and have a bottle of vodka. Yeah, you could do. Well, like I said, you could get drunk in an alley and have pretty much just as much fun. If you pulled your car into an alley and just crank the music up or whatever, <laughs> I bet those fucking homeless people could dance. Yeah, right? <laughs> but in a lot of ways, Epstein set up his social empire in a similar way. Epstein intentionally surrounded himself with beautiful women that would be entertainment for his more highly esteemed guests. Now, obviously, the immediate thought people have is for underage sex, and we're going to get into that, but Epstein trafficked in all types of women, not just the underage. Of the women of consenting age who revolved around Epstein, many were models that were just used to the lifestyle of being jetted around the globe, fed, and housed for free while being eye candy or more for the wealthy elite. I kind of wonder how that life just, A, you kind of know how it winds up usually, and that's the sad part. Mm -hmm. Um, B, I don't know, it must be just kind of a fun ride while you're doing it but yeah yeah sure i mean there has to be moments where they recognize they're like this isn't my wealth and this can't last forever he could drop me off in the next nice city we're in and take off without me and yeah i'd be sol yeah yeah well that was one of the things like galaine maxwell was talking about when she introduced virginia gufray the one that sued and said that she slept with prince andrew yeah Mm -hmm. she said that when they introduced her to prince andrew she said how old do you think she is and Andrew was like, I don't know. And she said, she's 17. But then she said, she's getting almost too old now, isn't she? Oh. So she's aging out. She's That's what I'm saying. So you know in your mind, you're like, this can't last forever. And right. this isn't even just about the underage sex. We're talking about like 
any of these girls in these situations like that, like in porn or modeling and stuff like that, like there's an expiration date. Yeah, it's a shelf yeah. life. Well, it depends on uh, what channel you go on. <laughs> it, always, <laughs> it always gets progressively worse. Hey, guys, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please do us a favor and share or repost our show on your favorite platform. We love and appreciate the support. Now, back to the action. Oh, man. But not all of them were these types of models and stuff like that. Some of them were actually post-collegial women who were accomplished in their own right and didn't mind the 30-year age difference in the men that they dated. Yeah. The idea there was for Epstein to introduce these career-minded women to powerful people they might date. The powerful person gets a relatively accomplished, beautiful young woman that they could take to social functions, and the young woman gets larger access to powerful circles that could help them socially, financially, and professionally. Yeah, it's just like Mariah Carey and Tommy Mottola back in the 90s. Yeah, and I believe that actually Epstein introduced Les Wexner to his wife. I think that's right. I'd have to double check. But ultimately, Les Wexner ended up marrying a younger woman that was fairly well-to-do or whatever, but that's why they ended up staying in Ohio. She wanted to raise the kids out there and what have you. But there was that sort of interaction as well. The guy that started Victoria's Secrets needed help getting girls. He did. Actually, he was notoriously introverted. Really? And that's a lot of people thought that Epstein got in there by basically he had something on him. Yeah. Well, that but even just his ability to surround himself with women constantly and then like use them. It's the sort of transactional relationship like, hey, you know, my buddy Les is super rich and, you know, you're super attractive. Maybe you can hang out and see what happens. So it, that's like the the best case scenario. Sounds like a very business transaction type it, relationship. It is. Yeah. It you're is. very attractive. He's very wealthy. You ought to be a couple. Yeah. And see how that turns out. That's, I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, marriage was like that for a long time, even before like this romantic notion of what marriage is now. But, you know, royal couples, when they married, they had, you know, marriages, it was like to solidify power. It wasn't because yeah, sure. they, they were right. in love with each other. Right. They're like, this is how it would, you know. So this maybe is how we keep the monarchy going. Exactly. So it's sort of, it's definitely transactional. I mean, all of this stuff is transactional, right? These exchanges were the most benign of Epstein's leveraging women for status. But Epstein also set up his wealthy and powerful friends with consenting age women that were explicitly used for sex only. Like I mentioned earlier, Epstein studied the wealthy and powerful to figure out what they wanted. And sex is obviously a part of that. And while Epstein understood he could utilize the sexual desires of wealthy and powerful people as leverage for his own needs, he likely understood this innately because he himself had what some would argue was an almost insatiable appetite for sex. I'd like to see if he had a little checklist for things that rich guys like. You know, <laughs> written down his notepad. Number one, sex. Sex. Number Check. two, power. Yeah. Check. Number three, whatever the fuck I want. That's it. Check. <laughs> Coincidentally, Epstein's seemingly voracious quest for sex was ultimately aided by a woman, a very plugged-in socialite, in fact, the daughter of a well-known, though ultimately disgraced, media mogul from the UK, Ghislaine Maxwell. I'm going to avoid digging too much into Ghislaine and her father, Robert, but suffice it to say they're interesting enough characters to warrant an entire show themselves, particularly Robert Maxwell, who himself died in a questionable suicide Right at the time he was being exposed as a fraud. Yeah, that's kind of odd. Mm-hmm. As is the spelling of Ghislaine's name. It is an odd, yeah. In fact, when he died, he drowned. He fell off of his yacht. The yacht's name was Lady Ghislaine. Really? Named after his daughter. She was mm-hmm. his favorite daughter. Additionally, there were always rumors that he had reported ties to the Mossad, too, the uh, Israeli intelligence services. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ghislaine, who at times was rumored to be Epstein's girlfriend, and at other times seemed to be almost a business partner introduced Epstein to a whole new social circle of wealthy elites, the UK set, including the Royals. 
According to a number of things I've read, Ghislaine was absolutely head over heels for Epstein and seemed eager to do whatever she could to please him. A number of people interviewed expressed that they felt bad for her because she, in some way, seemed to be another one of Epstein's victims. And doing the armchair psychiatrist thing, it wouldn't be too hard to put together some sort of amateur Freudian explanation for her desire to please Epstein, a man who in many ways was like her father. But regardless of whether you consider Epstein to be controlling that relationship, whatever it was, the complaint on record all seemed to point to Ghislaine's role in procuring women and underage girls for Epstein. The M.O. was for her to track down women and girls at various country clubs and spas and convince them to come to Epstein's home and perform a private massage for Jeffrey. Oh, man. I just, I, I'm trying to think of how that conversation would go. Right. As far as like a recruitment, like a sales mm-hmm. pitch to come massage old dudes. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I, it's true. It is. Uh, how do you really breach into that subject? You know, right. hey, what are you doing? So uh, why don't you come over for a couple drinks? Yeah, it's like good looking guys, you know, well, and never mind that they're 60. Yeah, I don't think that she was upfront about what the whole thing was in general. And the other thing, too, that's important here to note is for girls like Virginia Gouffre or whatever, the most famous one that came out and has filed all these claims is that Palm Beach is obviously a very wealthy part of the country. Sure. But right next to it is West Palm and West Palm isn't nice. Right. West Palm is, you know middle class, maybe sometimes even lower than that. And these girls come in and the obvious enticement is money. Right. That's it. So they go get these jobs at these nice resorts at Mar-a-Lago and places like this. And so they're approached and they know the leverage is, well, you don't have much. We have money. Everybody wants money. Right. Right. And I don't think that they like, I don't think they were like, Hey, my boyfriend is back home. And you know, if you want to give him a tug job, I'll give you like a couple hundred bucks. I don't think it was like that blunt. I think there was more like, Hey, you know, do you do massages? You work at a spa? Yeah, of course I do. And then she's like, well, do you want to make some extra money? And it's just a private massage back at this guy's house. Great guy. You'll get to meet him. And then when they got there, that's when shit went sideways. Oh man. But yeah, she would entice the girls with promises of hundreds of dollars per session and other financial social opportunities. The, quote, massage recruiting seemed to take place mostly at Epstein's Palm Beach home, and it was very commonplace. John Alessi, a longtime maintenance worker at the Palm Beach mansion, said he saw about 100 female masseuses at various times in the house. Dude, 100 at a time? 100 different ones. 100 different ones. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, he's just running girls out of there. Probably almost every day he's there, because he's probably, you know, traveling a lot or whatnot. Dude, that's a lot of stamina. Well, yeah, I, I think the dude was... But he was also for, you know, well, entertaining guests as that, well. But they, the word was, at least from the, the stuff that I've read, and it was that he had to have, quote, massages three times a day. That dude was fucking three times a day. Jesus. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But, like, the worst thing is John Alessi talked about, in this one interview I heard with him, and he was talking about, he realized, his thoughts were that these girls were really young because when they were at the house, they were just drinking milk and cookies. Like they were oh. like, it was the same stuff that my daughter was eating at home. And I was like, what the his, fuck, his, man? His and, and alarm bells. Yeah, he's, when you hear this guy, yeah. he's that's, he was, I think, well, this was like the driver. When you okay. hear his driver, he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm from Jersey. I'm a tough guy. You know, I drove him around everywhere. And I, you know, these girls, we get in the car and we call him, they call him a pedophile. It turns out I was right. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like alarm bells weren't going off in this guy's head. You know, that's what's interesting. I don't understand this. I think everybody now, you know, everything's out there. Now everybody wants to pretend like I had a suspicion, but I couldn't be quite sure. But you had to know this stuff. You had to know it. And at bare minimum, you can walk away from it. I mean, I, I don't get it. But Alessi would also explain how he would drive Maxwell around from spa to spa for her to stop and drop off business cards to recruit more massage therapists. Like I said, it's just out in the open behavior. 
Yeah, recruiting mm-hmm. sex slaves almost. Yeah, yeah, can you imagine being the manager at one of the spas? Oh, here's here's Galen again. Hey, what are you doing? Just dropping off cards. Here's a hundred dollars for you too. Mm-hmm. Thanks for letting me yep. leave these here. But back to the massages. What did the massages actually entail? Johanna Soberg was recruited by Maxwell in 2001 on the campus of Palm Beach Atlantic College, where she was a student. Mrs. Soberg said in a deposition that Miss Maxwell dangled a job as a personal assistant, but that was not what the job entailed. Once at Mr. Epstein's mansion, Miss Soberg said that she was told to perform sexual massages on Mr. Epstein and was punished when he did not have an orgasm. Oh, oh man. Yeah. So there you go. That's she's not even telling her you're coming back to do massages. She's like, you want to be a personal assistant? You want to make some extra money? You're a college student. You're broke as fuck. You want more ramen noodles or you want to ball hard? Right. And as Alessi would explain, the massages weren't just for Epstein. They were also doled out to Mr. Epstein's guests. Quote, a massage was like a treat for all the guests at Mr. Epstein's home. And according to some affidavit testimony, Ghislaine Maxwell often participated in the sessions herself, oftentimes instructing the girls how to go about pleasing Epstein. Oh, man. Coming in like the assistant manager. Yeah. Right? yeah. But remember that there are some very powerful people that are also allegedly engaging in these sexual acts with girls that Epstein and Maxwell had procured. And we're going to get into those people. But additionally, it's important to note that Epstein was rumored to have wired his residences with extravagant hidden surveillance, which might have been used to record his powerful guests in compromising situations. An old Cold War spy tactic for gaining leverage on a target. Wow. Had the house bugged. Yeah. Yeah. Bugged, dirt on recorded. everybody. Yep. Wow. We know at least some of that is true because the charging paperwork for Epstein's arrest in 2008 says, quote, police found two hidden cameras and photographs of underage girls on a computer in the defendant's home. Yeah. Also, I read a, an article from New York Times back from 96 that was talking about the home on 71st Avenue, up yeah. the Upper East Side. Yep, yep. And one of the mentions, this is obviously before any of this had come out at all. And they were just talking about how nice a home was and that Les Wexner owned it, but that Jeffrey Epstein was, was handling it. And they also talked about the extensive surveillance and like security cameras and stuff like that. Huh. So, you know, but yes, it does make you think that this was an elaborate set up for him to get leverage on people by putting them in compromising situations. But hey, this whole shameless process of recruiting girls and many underage from country club spas and modeling gigs seems to run without a hitch for Epstein and Maxwell until the arrest we just mentioned. And that arrest and the ultimate demise of Epstein begins in March of 2005 when a 14-year-old Palm Beach girl and her parents go to the police to report that Jeffrey Epstein molested her at his mansion during one of Epstein's special amateur masseuse for hire sessions. 14 years old. 14 years old. Jesus Christ. The Palm Beach Police Department, to their credit, immediately follows up and finds that, yes, the complaint is credible and that there's probably more to this. Police get a probable cause affidavit charging Epstein and two of his assistants with multiple counts of unlawful sex acts with a minor. But the Palm Beach state attorney instead refers the case to a grand jury. The grand jury returns an indictment of one count of solicitation of prostitution, but doesn't mention anything about any of the victims being minors. How did that happen? And only one count? One count of soliciting prostitution, no minors involved. So it's a very different charge than what. Yeah, exactly. Right, Right. Now, the Palm Beach police chief realizes, I think, at this point, that it's total bullshit, and he pressures the FBI to get involved. They do. The shit really starts rolling downhill, and a 53-page indictment gets drafted in early 2007 by the U.S. Attorney's Office. Sensing trouble, Epstein's legal team starts offering plea bargains at this point. Now they know, holy shit, the feds are involved. It's a 53-page indictment. They got the whole ball of wax there. I need to try to just cop a plea and get out of this as much as possible. And then U.S. Attorney in Miami, Alexander Acosta, gets involved. After about a year back and forth, 
Epstein pleads guilty to state charges, one count of solicitation of prostitution and one count of solicitation of prostitution with a minor under the age of 18. He is sentenced to 18 months in jail, followed by a year in community control or house arrest. He is adjudicated as a convicted sex offender who must register twice a year in Florida. This deal is finalized without any of Epstein's victims being made aware of it. Hmm. When they file with the court to try and reverse it, basically the victims find out. And they're like, hey, you can't make this deal without us being right. signing off it. on it. Right. They want to feel that like their justice has been served. Well, so they try to go to the court and they try to file to reverse it. The court basically says it's too late, man. It's done. It's over. This is ridiculous. Yep. This is just a, the American justice system right there. Absolutely. And worse still, while, quote, serving his time, it turns out that Epstein was practically allowed to leave the jail at will and travel around with Palm Beach sheriffs acting more as bodyguards and gophers than as legal officers guarding a prisoner. Epstein returned to his home often and was often allowed to go inside for hours at a time without any police supervision whatsoever. That's and, unbelievable. Yeah. That and, he could just get dropped off and go inside and do God knows what. Well, you know what I mean? That's the thing. Rumor was that he was still having women, some underage girls, meet him there at his house for sexual encounters before exiting and being taken back to the jail. Wow. Yep. Uh, and even before he got work release clearance, when he was still at the jail, he was able to set up an office in the jail that was away from everybody else. And hold business meetings, have visitors, basically run business as usual in the jail the entire time. Yeah. He had an office. He could meet with his attorneys anytime. He basically, it was like a camp. Right. You know what I mean? How does that, how do you, how does that even happen? You know that's what, what I, mean? I don't understand. How do you get privileged? Like privileges like that inside of a jail. Yeah. You know? That's what was strange to me too, is that like, obviously the people up top help make these decisions or whatever, but what's it like being one of the prison guards or the police that just sort of escort them around like are you questioning at this point you're like right. what the fuck's going on with yeah. this you know but i think that lifestyle and that stuff like just being like oh well i got to drive up to his mansion you gotta see his mansion right. so gigantic so cool you know he let me come in one time and he showed me his, you know and that's literally like blinds people yeah being right like, Wait he must second. be really important because yeah. i mean it, oh it's so cool how much money he has i that makes a huge difference but yeah, so it's all around sham job on the justice side of things, an apparent case of two legal systems in this country, one for the rich and powerful and one for the poor and powerless. The poor and powerless being the victims. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And let's take a quick look at the powerful people around Epstein that may have tipped the scales in his favor. All right, so we've covered Ghislaine Maxwell a bit, the British socialite with cozy ties to the aristocracy and the business class of Britain and the U.S., and that is how Epstein is believed to have met Prince Andrew, the Duke of York, son of Queen Elizabeth, and eighth in line to the throne, who now finds himself in very hot water because yeah. he's been accused of sleeping with an underage girl multiple times. The girl, of course, having been put up to it by Epstein. And there's pictures. There are pictures yeah. of him. Yep. yep. And he says that he doesn't remember and stuff like that. But I don't know if you guys saw this. Oh, Recently, yeah. they pulled the emails that he sent to Ghislaine Maxwell. And he was saying, we need to talk about Virginia Gouffre. Oh, yep. yeah. And isn't oh, wow. that what basically prompted his, he went to the queen and was like, I need to step down from my duties now. Yes, basically. Oh, and wow. that's, that's the thing. Even after Epstein got out of jail and when most people had distanced themselves, at least ostensibly, they made themselves seem like, I didn't really know him or whatever. Prince Andrew was still hanging out with them. Yeah. Like, he's still like hanging out with them in Central Park. Yeah. They got a picture of him and this is like 2010, I guess. They were walking through Central Park and- they had been hanging out at his house in New York the whole time. And that's when it made the tabloids in the UK. And that's when Andrew officially had to like distance himself. Like, oh, wow. I don't, I don't really know him. I don't know him. Um, yeah, but uh, that's obviously not the case. So then we have famed attorney and Harvard law professor, Alan Dershowitz. Now three girls 
who also accused Epstein, uh, Sarah Ransom, uh, Maria Farmer, and Virginia Gouffre, have accused Dershowitz of sleeping with them when they were underage. Hmm. Dershowitz denies it emphatically, but we do know that not only was Dershowitz a good friend of Epstein's for a time, but actually served as his attorney and was arguably the pivotal piece in the sweetheart deal that he received in 2008. Hmm. Man, what do we know Dershowitz for today? Dershowitz was one of the main attorneys on the OJ case. Okay. And he's yep. always brought on constantly to discuss legal cases on CNN, on Fox, and stuff like that. Right. He's a professor at Harvard, okay. uh, a law professor. I Honestly, he's one of those famous attorneys like now. But what's interesting, too, is that him, Dershowitz, and Ken Starr of the— OJ uh, case. No, no. Ken Starr was the Monica Lewinsky, Bill Clinton— set up the, oh, okay yeah ken Starr was the head of the uh i can't remember what committee that was name of it or whatever when they were trying to impeach clinton that was all ken Starr stuff ken Starr was also friends with epstein and dershowitz and ken Starr and dershowitz worked together to get epstein's huh. deal now of course dershowitz tries to act like oh you know i didn't realize that once i did realize that like i stopped talking to him right but the reality is that when he realized that that's when he became his attorney Right. And he says, like, timelines don't add up, brother. Yeah. Well, he's like, no, he's like, that was my professional duty. He's like, I would have done that for anybody. Doesn't matter whatever. He's like, that's my professional job. As a lawyer, I will represent anybody. Right. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And there's some more to get in with Dershowitz, too, because, like I said, these there are girls out there that seem credible. Like Virginia Gouffre was the one that came out with Prince Andrew, and she seems very credible. And she says Dershowitz also slept with her. So mm. then we have Bill Clinton. Oh, man. Billy C. That's it. Rocking and rolling with Epstein. I can just kind of imagine how the hell that went down. So with Clinton, there's not any direct allegations that I can find or that I'm aware of regarding Clinton sexually assaulting anyone or doing anything with anyone underage. Like, there's no girls that have come out and been like, I slept with them on Lolita Express. But we do know that Clinton flew on the Lolita Express a number of times. By 2002, after Clinton had left office, the former president began to be listed as a passenger on Epstein's private plane. Between February 9th, 2002 and November 4th, 2003, they counted a total of six trips, two of which were just one-way flights, though. But in all, there was a total of 26 flights taken during the six trips, since several trips included multiple stops. They are jet-setting at that point, Oh, yeah, too, totally. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, that one, when they went to Africa for the Clinton Foundation, it was Epstein, Clinton, Chris Tucker, <laughs> Smokey from Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Kevin Spacey, another. Oh, wow. I can see him being friends with Epstein. It's interesting, though, because Spacey isn't into the chicks. Yeah, I know. He's into the younger boys. (laughs) He's into the underage. He is, yeah. So, yeah, Jesus Christ. Oh, man. But anyways, as anyone who was alive in the 90s knows, Clinton was notorious for being one of the horniest of presidents. I sure am. Hey, uh, Bill, did uh, you ever beat off in uh, in the Oval Office? Well... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So, you know, like I said, the speculation isn't super crazy, I suppose. But aside from the speculation, there doesn't seem to be much, at least in the way of legal claims. And then we have current U.S. President Donald Trump. Trump was a longtime friend of Epstein's, and they spent a lot of time together in Palm Beach in New York. There's plenty of documentation of this, pictures and comments. His phone number was found in the infamous Epstein Black Book. There was the recently rediscovered video of the Super Bowl party in 92 at Mar-a-Lago where Epstein arrives and Trump spends minutes of film time whispering into Epstein's ear and pointing out the cheerleaders that were in attendance, later on patting one on the butt while she danced. Uh, At one point, Trump stops to dance towards the cheerleaders with like that old man 
lower lip bite thing. <laughs> and I just, I'm going to put it out there. I don't know if this is true, but uh, he looks legit coked out of his mainframe. <laughs> <laughs> like sweaty, wired, and the dance, like he, yeah, oh man, if you can see it, like the biting of the lip is, I mean, he's so into it. It's just horny. As yeah. He's like, yeah. oh yeah, mm, bite that lip. And then Epstein's kind of like, oh, this is fucking weird, man. He's but, intense, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's intense, man. Oh man. And then Trump had this now infamous quote in a pre-scandal piece on Epstein. This was 2003 before Epstein got in any trouble. Nobody knew that he was doing this horrible shit. Quote, I've known Jeff for 15 years. Terrific guy. He's a lot of fun to be with. It is even said he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them are on the younger side. No doubt about it, Jeffrey enjoys his social life. Ouch. Yeah. That's, oh. Yeah. Yep. Now the worst for Trump. And like I said, you can make up your own mind about the veracity of these claims. I don't know if they're true or not. All I can tell you is that the story is a civil lawsuit was filed in April of 2016 by a woman claimed that both Epstein and Trump raped her in New York in 1994 when she was only 13 years old. The suit was dropped just before the election with the woman claiming that her life was being threatened. So there you go. Believe it or not, the only thing I can say for certain is that the court documentation is there. You can go read it. That doesn't mean it happened. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It's just weird. Right. Was the case settled or was she dropped? She dropped the case because she said that she was receiving death threats. Oh man. But Again, who knows? I mean, the timing could be opportunistic. But then again, we know Epstein was doing this. We know they were hanging out. It's possible. Right, I don't know. I'm right. not saying it definitely happened. It really, I think that's almost like a political litmus test. How bad do you want to believe it's true, I guess, right? Yeah. But I don't think that we'll ever know. So who knows? But did knowing these people save Epstein from a full long donging by the law? Who knows? But the other thing is, I believe, had Epstein received the full level of justice for his crimes, I don't think you'd get the same end of the story. I think that if Epstein hadn't been allowed to operate under a different standard, he wouldn't have become so emboldened to continue his behavior the way that he did. And continue it, he definitely did. Mm -hmm. Hey, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. As you mindlessly scroll through your phone while waiting in line for coffee, like us on all your favorite social media platforms. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at AHC Podcast. Thanks for your support. Back to Asshole Court. After his release from prison, Epstein immediately tries to rehabilitate his name by rebranding himself as a major scientific donor and thinker. Here we go down the weird shit. <laughs> and this brings us to Zorro Ranch, group inseminations, and a planet Earth populated by a super species of humans, all possessing Epstein's giant football-like head. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely oblong like a football. Yes. Yeah, he, yeah. It looks, like I said, he looks like Herman Munster. He's very tan like a football. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you put stitches on his face, yes. Yeah. It was like one of those old footballs from back in like late 19th century when like the big games were like Harvard versus Princeton. It was yeah. just a fucking pig belly or Epstein's head. Yeah, pig bladder with uh, laces it. in it. That's it. Epstein's head. I'll imagine Teddy Roosevelt with an Epstein head. Just fucking stiff arms. <laughs> dude oh man but uh yeah so let me explain like i mentioned following his arrest epstein was shunned by a lot of people that's understandable he decided that he would rehabilitate himself and started donating tons of money to various scientists and studies he had done this before but he seemed to really make a larger effort post 2008 and these are people that are like Nobel Prize winners. And can you publicly accept that money? You know what I mean? Like if that guy's giving you money, I don't know if I'm letting anybody know, A, I'm accepting it, B, and do you accept it? Like Harvard accepted it. MIT accepted it. 
what happened in this end game is when all this stuff came out, Harvard backed off and was like, okay, I'm going to be very open about what occurred here. They actually sent out letters to all the students. They're like, this is the amount of money that we got and we're getting rid of it. We're doing this or that with it. MIT was like, I'm just going to keep this right up here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like he starts hanging out with scientists. And he starts websites like Jeffrey Epstein's Profiles in Science. Oh, man. Oh, man. I wonder if that website's still active. It's not. They closed it down, but there's an old Gawker article that where they found it. This is like 2010, and they're like, look at this shit, man. They're like, Jeffrey Epstein, the perv is a science website. <laughs> Fucking nerd. It's a really weird article. A number of scientists that he interacted with explained some of his more mm, interesting ideas. He told one scientist that he was bankrolling efforts to identify a mysterious particle that might trigger the feeling that someone is watching you. What is what? that? Like the voyeur particle or something like that? <laughs> yeah. That's uh, like when they did the Hadron Collider and they found the God particle. He did the low rent version. <laughs> <laughs> found the voyeur yeah. particle. He's like, I can't afford a billion dollars for a full collider, but I've got about a million five. And now what I want to do is find the voyeur particle. <laughs> and they're like, how much money do you have? Million five fucking, yeah. let's take it. Let's go. I'll find the particle. That's it. I think we found it. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. There that's it is. It. That's well, it. Now what do you do with it? I don't know, but that's it, man. I feel like you put it in a vial. That's what they would do in a movie, like put in some sort of <laughs> science vial. They're, like he's such a Watch shit. it collide over and over again. <laughs> they just hand him a glass jar. They're like, it's in there. It's in there. And he's like shaking it up. He's like, mm. I can't wait till I can unleash you upon the world. And then I will save so much money on security cameras. <laughs> Man, at one session at Harvard, Mr. Epstein criticized efforts to reduce starvation and provide health care to the poor because doing so increased the risk of overpopulation. But undoubtedly, the craziest of all is this. On multiple occasions, starting in the early 2000s, Mr. Epstein told scientists and businessmen about his ambition to use his New Mexico ranch as a base where women would be inseminated with his sperm and would give birth to his babies. Sounds like an alien layer that he's trying to create out yeah. there. It, it is like a big compound. Have you mm -hmm. seen pictures of it? Uh, it's amazing. This thing is Oh, it's massive, huge. Yeah. Massive. You're right. Insemination palace. That's it. It also sounds a lot like Bill Barr's dad's book. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah space yeah. relations where uh, he raped a bunch of young girls and then uh, did mass inseminations of people or whatever. They were space girls? Yeah, in the book, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. this was the guy that uh, maybe, oh, had, yeah. maybe hired him that's at right. Dalton. That's right. Yeah. Mr. Epstein's goal was to have 20 women at a time impregnated at his 33,000 square foot Zorro ranch. Mr. Epstein had based his idea for a baby ranch on accounts of the repository for germinal choice, which was to be stocked with the sperm of Nobel laureates who wanted to strengthen the human gene pool. Man, I'm just picturing like the Jurassic Park science lab. Yes. You know, where they have all uh, of it. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> exactly. Samuel L. Jackson fucks it all up when he's smoking a cigarette. Oh, shit. He said, motherfucking Epstein's sperm got out. <laughs> oh, and the man. Gillette canister. Yes, that's it. That was uh, Newman. Newman, yeah. yeah. He was a UGA. That's right. That's yeah. right. But as if Epstein couldn't possibly make his impregnation ranch idea sound any sleazier than it already was, according to a scientist that attended multiple dinners with Epstein, he had the impression that Mr. Epstein was using these dinner parties where some guests were attractive women with impressive academic credentials to screen candidates to bear Mr. Epstein's children. Man, again, how the hell do these conversations get started? Like... Having a tough conversation with someone like professionally mm -hmm. or even personally, like to start the conversation is tough. But how do you start like a sex sales pitch? Like money. 
Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to earn $5,000 for one week's work? I'd be like, you ever fucked in a helicopter? <laughs> Jeeves, get the helicopter. <laughs> but yeah, one other thing is that Epstein constantly harped on, according to various scientists that he spoke with, was when he died, to have his head and his penis frozen. You know, Cryogenics? To, yeah, to resurrect some sort of penis monster with a football head, <laughs> according to many, many people. An like an egg-shaped penis. Yeah, like an egg-shaped octopus. That's it. Like eight dicks. Just. <laughs> yeah, he like, yeah, gets multiple dicks. It is like a, a Jeffrey Epstein dictopus. <laughs> like a tiny pogo stick bobblehead of terror a century from now, just... Trying to impregnate everything. But his head would be sideways like Stewie's. So he'd have like a Stewie from Family Guy shaped football head. Yep. With the dicks for the octopus legs. I love it. The dictopus. The dictopus. Yeah. The Epstein dictopus. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's transhumanism. That's yeah. Name. That's it. Yeah. The Epstein dictopus. Uh, I, I don't know if he succeeded in uh, having his dick and head frozen. But anyway, fast forward to post-Trump election America. It's 2017. Alexander Acosta has been named the U.S. Labor Secretary. You know, the guy that brokered that sweet-ass deal for Epstein following his arrest in 2005. So an investigative journalist for the Miami Herald who was written on and been following the story of Jeffrey Epstein is all like, fuck that noise. Her name is Julie K. Brown, right? Downtown Downtown. Julie Brown. That's it. (laughs) That is it. She wants to revisit the Epstein case. More specifically, she wanted to revisit how Epstein got such a sweetheart deal. She wasn't really interested in the gory details of what happened. She wants to figure out how the fuck did he get the sweetheart deal? How did he get out of jail? Oh, well, she probably comparison shopped his sentence versus some other people that yep. did the same thing. It was like, time the fuck out. Yeah. This is way off. Well, and he Who was, signed he, off on all of this. Exactly. Yeah. And he continued to be flagrant. He was supposed to register as a sex offender and had to check in. He never did it. Never did it once. Never checked in when he was supposed to. From the entire time he got out, he never checked in. Wow. So she's, like I said, she's like, this is fucking weird or whatever. She goes to the Palm Beach Sheriff and she explains that she wants to do a deep dive on Epstein. And he basically tells her at that point, he's like, look, man, I've tried to point people in the right direction, but it never happens. So he's frustrated. He's like, I th- you're wasting my time. I'm just done with the story. And he thinks the story keeps getting buried by higher ups. So he tells her basically not to worry about it, saying, quote, Somebody's going to call your publisher, and the next thing you know, you're going to be assigned to the obituaries department. Basically saying, like, you fuck with this, you're going to lose your job. Right, right. Long story short, she goes ahead with it anyways. And when the Miami Herald backs her up and publishes the Epstein bomb on November 28th, 2018, the world finally pays attention, and the epilogue begins. In short order, an investigation opens back up. Epstein is rearrested, and his multiple homes are raided. Alexander Acosta resigns in shame. Ghislaine Maxwell goes into hiding. And a lot of rich and powerful people begin sweating. People like Dershowitz and Trump and Clinton start explaining that they weren't really close with Epstein and never knew about his deviant behaviors. And they didn't really like the guy. So when all this stuff breaks, right, and everybody, it's a huge fucking story. Story of the year, right? All the people in the journalism field are like, Julie K. Brown should win the Pulitzer Prize. She should be nominated, right? Alan Dershowitz tries to preempt it by writing the Pulitzer organization. He asked them not to reward Brown because he describes what she reported as, quote, fake news. Quote, quote, fake news. He put fucking fake news in the letter to the Pulitzer organization. Everything that this woman reported on, factual and proven now. And this is the same guy that's like, I, I didn't fuck those young girls. Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, 
thou dost protest too much, my friend. You're trying to keep her from winning a Pulitzer Prize. If you didn't do shit, then just back the fuck up. Right. And let the investigation fall where it right. settles. Not a fan of that guy. But uh, yeah. And lastly, on August 10th, 2019, Epstein winds up dead in a jail cell in Manhattan from an apparent suicide. Mm. And this will be the last piece of our Jeffrey Epstein topic. Do you think Jeffrey Epstein killed himself? If you look at the facts surrounding his death, I hate the fact there are so many questions. Mm -hmm. Why the hell did the videotapes get cut off for three hours? Why don't they have logs of the guards checking his cell and reporting back? And it seems to be like that day. You know what right. I mean? It's like that day, all right. the stuff didn't happen. The, the stars aligned. Right, right. And granted, it could be a weird case of coincidence. Certainly. And it, you know, odds are it may be, mm-hmm. but I don't think anybody will ever know if Epstein killed himself or yeah. not, you know? Yeah. I mean, it is a little bit odd. I subscribe to the theory that he was murdered inside jail because, I mean, you're dealing with the most powerful people in the world. Whenever somebody like him is put into jail, you start to cover your ass, right? So what would you do? You would send people out to his house to get all of the evidence that would incriminate you. You would cover everything that you could. And then the last thing that you have to worry about is Epstein himself. So to me, I feel like that's where, you know, they pulled the Breaking Bad, Walter White, you know, Mm -hmm. had somebody on the inside, killed him. And then, you know, there's nothing to testify. There's nothing to tie you back to it. So that's what I subscribe to just because of all the stuff that happened with the cameras, with the guards Mm -hmm. and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm with Randy on this one. I don't know. I think it's reasonable to question this. Right. I think you'd have to be a crazy person to not question this because there's, like I said, the stars magically align. There's just too many coincidences and stuff like that, you know? And again, like I said, even if he did commit suicide, this is, the most high profile prisoner you have, like that's just insane. Like a level of like dereliction of duty or, you know, I don't know. You can't let this guy kill himself. And that's the thing. He had a lot of reason to kill himself. He had a lot of reason to kill himself. That's you could understand that like a massive fall from grace. He wasn't getting out of jail. You can see that a lot of very rich and important people were got to go down. And certainly. Yeah. But at the same time, all of those things occurring, at a time where it's so coincidental. And then there's other rumors that these can't be verified either, but there was reports that Bill Barr had showed up to the jail like a week before. And I don't know if this is true. I remember reading this report somewhere that someone was saying this. So again, this is totally speculative. But if that is the case, you're like, well, what the fuck is that guy showing up for? Right. Yeah, exactly. Going to show up to a Manhattan jail. You're the fucking you know, attorney general of the United States. Right. So I don't know if there's that. There's a lot of questions that are there. So like I said, Occam's razor, did he kill himself? It's very possible, but it's equally possible that there was a larger conspiracy to have him killed to avoid the embarrassment of things that are going to come out like what we're seeing right now with Prince Andrew, potentially with a Trump, a Dershowitz, a Clinton. All these people gain a lot by his death. So, you know, that's that. I don't know. It could be either way. All right, dudes. Well, that is Jeffrey Epstein. Now we get to give our final asshole scores. Who wants to go first? All right, I'll go first. So listening to the story and hearing all of just this God awful stuff that he did to underage women and, you know, just took total control over their lives by his power and his wealth and just kind of really flaunted um, everything he had to help them feel better about themselves. It just is a sick, twisted hole. He drove a lot of people down in the end. 
you know, if he killed himself to kind of bail everybody out, you know, I don't know what definitely doesn't make him a hero. I think he just kind of fucking bailed out and took the chicken shit way out without facing all of his accusers and setting the record straight, you know, at least trying to provide some light to all the stuff that's been thrown at him. So this guy, complete asshole. You know, I don't say he'll go on the Mount Rushmore of asshole court, but he is fucking high. I'm going to rock EpiPen 8.0. Okay. Buddy. Uh, all right. So for my final score on on Epstein, I'm going to rank him pretty high. He was a shady motherfucker his whole life, it seems like. When you go back to the college days, when you go back to him at Bear Stearns, just his entire career. He always treated people as commodities that he would try to manipulate and try to use to his advantage. He used a lot of people that way and got a lot of money out of a lot of people that way, allegedly. But I'm pretty convinced that's the way that he accumulated a lot of his wealth. And then you start getting into the underage girls. It's one thing when you have consenting adults, but when you got kids, man, that's just a, that's a whole nother level. So my final asshole score for Jeffrey Epstein is going to be a 9.0. And I think it's probably one of the highest ones that I've rated on the show. Okay. 9.0. And uh, I just want to pause here to at least point out that he's kind of cool. I mean, (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I was like, oh my God. (laughs) I'm totally kidding. Look, obviously, uh, like I said, it really comes down to one thing. And the money thing is, we've dealt with, with scam artists and stuff like that. You know, Elizabeth Holmes, so that stuff happens all the time. It's bad. It's horrible. But it's not the weight of his score isn't going to come from that for me. It's the fact that uh, he fucked kids. And uh, it's really that simple, man. Like I said, you can be a, like a warped person and try to be like, well, you know, they were teenagers and, you know, they were just, they were having a good time, whatever. You're not able to consent at that age. At fucking 14, 15 years old, you're not really able to consent. You're not able to assess what the actual interaction is. And like I said, he basically used them and threw them away like trash. So in that sense, yeah, a nine, that's easy. Nine easy. He didn't kill anybody. If he killed somebody, if he killed a bunch of people, well, he did kill himself. Maybe, (laughs) maybe, right? And that's like, at least Hitler did one good thing, right? Because Hitler killed Hitler. Right. So, uh, you know, if he did kill himself, then the best thing he ever did was kill Jeffrey Epstein. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'm at nine. Easy. That's that's it. That's going to bring our uh, total to... It is 8.66 repeating. 8.666. That's it. All right, guys. Well, good show, and uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to hear more of Asshole Court, find us anywhere you download your favorite podcasts. Give us a good rating on your favorite platform. It really does help. You'll definitely want to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at AHC Podcast. We'd love to hear from you depending on what you have to say. So, until next time, remember the golden rule, and don't be an asshole, or you might find yourself on Asshole Court.